God allows people to feel down, desperate, anxious, devastated. I know that's strong. So that he might reveal his strength and his goodness. I sin because I am a sinner. And I am a sinner because of my relationship to Adam. You're listening to 1A, a ministry of First Presbyterian Church. Welcome back to our third series called Confessional Life, where Derek and I discuss some of the basics of the Westminster Confession and its application to our lives. I'm Josh Squires, the Minister of Counseling and Congregational Care here at First Pres. 1A is a podcast designed to take a brief but in-depth look at counseling issues from a pastoral perspective. If this is your first time giving us a listen, we want to welcome you. We appreciate you taking the time to check us out. We hope this ministry is a blessing to you and those around you. For more information, you can visit our webpage, which is firstprescolumbia.org forward slash 1A. That's firstprescolumbia.org forward slash 1A. To find out how to contact us or how to subscribe, listen to the end of the show. If you do find this ministry useful, then subscribe using the application of your choice. And every Monday, a new episode will be waiting for you. Also, while you're there, leave us some comments. As we increase the number of reviews and comments, it becomes easier for others to find our podcast. This is a special double episode covering two chapters of the Confession, Providence and the Fall of Man. In it, we get a refresher on first and second causes. We talk about what the divines mean by bare permission, why God would allow his children to feel pain, federal representation, the transmission of sin, and the return of our Orthodox or Not segment. Before we start, a quick thank you. A number of you have, by text, email, even in person, expressed your gratitude for the show. And I wanted to take a minute to say thank you to you, the listeners. Your time is valuable, and you could be listening to a host of other things, or nothing at all. And yet you take the time to listen to our show. We appreciate it, and hope that it is the Lord who gets all the glory and all the honor for it. Keep giving us your feedback, though, because we need it. It helps us to know what our listeners want to hear. Now, let's get to our show. Welcome back, Derek. Thank you, Josh. It's been a while. It's been a while. It's been three months, I think. Has it really? And I have to admit, my view on the world has changed. Well, mine too, because I'm a year older since we last did this. Well, I'm two stories higher now, so... <laughs> right. No, I've, I've actually decreased the story. You have to. You've I've gotten, gotten lower. Yeah. No, I've, we should I've explain. <laughs> uh, uh, listeners will remember in... A couple of the previous episodes, they could hear jackhammering in the background, uh, a lot of work being done, and all of that has finally paid off. Well, I hope it's paid off, but but <laughs> but we've certainly made the move. Right. Yeah. Studio 1A got to move with it. We're, we've moved up in the world. We're up on the third floor now, overlooking the beautiful city of Columbia. And I hear that we have competition. There's another podcast by NPR Radio called 1A. NPR, who are they? Yeah, who are they? To take on us. Right. Right. So, we were here first. (laughs) Move on, buddies. Move on. Okay, so, off in the distance, way off in the distance, you may just be able to see School of Theology, but just barely, because you guys are already in Chapter 7, God's Covenant with Man? Yes. And we have just come through chapter four. 
Okay, we so need to catch up. We need to catch up. We've got to go at warp speed okay. in order to catch up. So we've got to get through chapters five and chapter six in one episode. Well, that's just covering all of providence and all of the doctrine of man and all the doctrine of sin. No problem. My producer assures me we can do this. Okay, let's go. (laughs) Okay, so uh, let's start with uh, providence. Can you give us just a brief definition? What do we mean when we say or use the word providence? Well, of course, it comes from the Latin pro video, so to see beforehand, Mm. literally. Uh, So God sees beforehand events that happen, and he sees them not because of foresight, but because he foreordains. Mm. Uh, He sees them because he causes them to come into being. Mm. Uh, Now, the manner in which we understand that cause has to be tweaked a little um, but nothing happens without God willing it to happen and without him willing it to happen before it happens and without him willing it to happen in the way that it happens so right. providence is all embracing all encompassing covering all of space and time mm. now you said tweak it a little bit in this chapter of the Westminster they talk about first and second causes that's not something we're used to using, categories that we're used to using, using nowadays. Um, and for listeners who may just have parachuted into this series for whatever reason, um, I would refer them to one of our previous episodes. Uh, episode 7, I believe, of this series, starting about nine and a half minutes in, we talk about first and second causes. There's no way you can remember it was nine and a half minutes. In. I checked that this morning. I had it written down somewhere, and now my note has right. wandered off. You're, prob- so, you're probably referring then to a previous chapter in the Confession on the doctrine of the decree. That is exactly right. And in the opening segment of that chapter, it says that God foreordains whatsoever comes to pass, but, and there are three sort of caveats. One is that he's not the author of sin. Two, that the liberty or contingency of second causes is not taken away, but rather established. And three, that violence isn't caused to the will of the creature. Right. Actually, maybe in a different order than that but those are the three things yeah. three caveats and so god foreordains everything but he doesn't foreordain them in such a way that he is the author of sin be that you and i are just robots mm-hmm. or see that everything he does he does um as as he does in a miracle yeah. where he does directly sometimes he does things indirectly through second causes Right. And we have a, you gave us an example of weather, I think, in that particular episode. Very helpful. So again, if you, if you struggle with this. Well, yes. I mean, in one sense, you know, we pray that God would send rain or that he would stop sending rain and that he would cause the sun to come out. Right. As we did rather selfishly for an event held here last Sunday. And so, so when the sun popped its head out, at about 10.30 on Sunday morning, we all said, thank you, Lord, for right. answering our prayers. But you could also explain all of that, that God sent a weather front 
that there's meteorological explanations. There's low pressure, high mm-hmm. pressure, sunspots, magnetism. You can tell I don't know anything about <laughs> meteorology, but but there's a science here right. that can explain why we can predict that tomorrow it's going to be cold. You just yeah. said an hour ago it's going to be cold tomorrow. At the mm-hmm. minute it's seventy-five. Mid- yeah, and it's February. Yeah. But we live in South Carolina, and if you happen to be listening up in the cold, frozen north, we feel very sorry for you, but you should move south. Yes, yes. Okay, so so that gives us a, a, a sense, a broad picture overview of what we mean when we talk about providence. Uh, there's a couple of specifics, though, that I was wondering if we can get into. Um, one is actually in chapter or in section four of this chapter. Um, it says the almighty power, unsearchable wisdom, and infinite goodness of God so far manifest themselves in his providence that it exceedeth itself even, or extended itself, sorry, uh, even to the first fall and all other sins of angels and men, and that not, and this is what I wanted to, to ask about, and that not a bare permission. What are the divine's... Uh, trying to highlight in this bare permission. Well, you need to read on, because there are some wonderful words here. But such as hath joined with it a most wise and powerful bounding and otherwise ordering and governing Mm. of them in a manifold dispensation to his own holy ends. I, I often think that in the committee when this was being discussed, how do we understand God's providence, God's overruling of the fall of the creation of Adam in such a manner that Adam was capable of falling and how every aspect of that was under the control of God in that nothing came as a surprise to God. God doesn't have those sort of aha moments mm. that the future is kind of open and and he doesn't quite know, you know, whether... According to a view that would argue for absolute libertarianism, that we have the freedom of choice to make absolute, absolute decisions in a way that God couldn't even predict them happening. Uh, so you have, you, you, you have these three words, uh, ordering, bounding, and governing. And, mm. I, and I've always imagined that there were three sort of people in the room, and one <laughs> wanted to use the word ordering, and one wanted to use bounding, and one wanted to use governing, and, and so the chairman of the committee said, well, let's use all three of them. Um, because I'm not sure if you, if there's a distinction between the three words so much right. as they're just heaping up the fact that, that there's a view, and, 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 in the background here is is John Calvin, I think, because mm. uh, Calvin talks about this notion of bare permission in the Institutes a um, hundred years prior to the events of the Westminster Assembly. Mm. And Calvin attacks the view that says God created Adam and and simply allowed Adam to fall. Right kind of made him, put him in the garden, and stood back. Didn't intercede or intervene when he could have to keep him from falling. Well, we have to understand God's activity in the world as as total, Mm -hmm. that that there isn't isn't an event or a circumstance, a black hole, Mm -hmm. 
where God isn't in control, that God is in control of 50%, 60 80 95%, right. but there's 5% that he's not in control of. No, there's a governing and a bounding and, and, and a, uh, an ordering even of that 5%. So it's not just bare permission. And, mm. and, and yet there is, there is such a thing as, I'm sorry to use all these big words now, but there is such a thing as contingency. Mm. So there is such a thing as Adam being created with the ability to fall. Mm. So he, he was capable of sinning and capable of not sinning. Mm. And yet God was still in control. Now you may say, well, that's just having your cake and eating it. And I've never understood that because why would you want a cake and not eat it? <laughs> right, right. Uh, since it was my birthday yesterday, I had a cake. And, and I, you I, ate it. And I ate, well, I didn't eat all of it. I ate some of it. But, but, you know, you might you might say I don't understand that, and and frankly, just take a number because I don't understand that either. And you can throw all kinds of words at it that that this is a compatibilist understanding, which is the trendy word today. Yeah. A compatibilist understanding. You might want to use a different sort of metaphor, and you can say you know, God's sovereignty demands responsibility like two lines of a railway track and they run parallel to each other and if they deviate inwards or outwards you know the train's going to come off i've used that illustration i understand from a philosophical point of view that that illustration doesn't quite match right so all of you reformed vantillians out there i I, 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 yeah but I think this is the confession saying God is God is sovereign, but he's but he's not the author of sin. Yeah. Okay, so then, and, and this is where I wanted to maybe camp for a few more minutes uh, in this particular chapter, section five: the most wise, righteous, and gracious God. What wonderful adjectives, by the way! I love how they just heap those adjectives up. Um, doth oftentimes leave for a season his own children to manifold temptations and the corruption of their own heart to chastise them for former sins or to discover unto them the hidden strength of corruption. And I want to come back to that piece because um, I, I, I don't know that I quite understand what they're saying there. And deceitfulness of their hearts, that they may be humbled and to raise them to a more close and constant dependence for their support upon himself, and to make them more watchful against all future occasion of sin, and for sundry other just and holy ends. Right. So, let me start back at the beginning. The most wise, righteous, and gracious God doth oftentimes leave for a season his own children. And I think, and especially as a counselor, this is the piece that people... Um, don't understand. There's some small piece of them that think that when I make that confession, all things from this point forward will be rosy. And when they're not rosy, it's not because of chastisement or discipline. It's because of persecution. It's like, you know, you have, how many children do you have? Like 16? (laughs) You have five children. (laughs) Right. And... So, how many of them have bicycles? Uh, four of them. All of them except the baby. How many of them have just two wheels and not and not the little things three. at the back? 
three have right. so yeah. the first time you took those what do you call those training things? wheels first time you took those training wheels off what did you do you, you you well you probably had your hand on the seat of the bike and you were running puffing away but running yeah. down the street and then all of a sudden you let go yep Right, but you said, I'm still here, I'm still here, because right. one of your daughters is saying, Daddy, don't let go, Daddy, don't let go. <laughs> you were taking a video of this. Right. And, and you're saying, I'm still holding on, actually, you weren't holding on, and this is where the illustration so breaks down, because right. God, God doesn't tell lies or anything, but, right. but, but, yeah, God sometimes takes, it appears to us, yeah. as though he takes his hand off, right. as though he withdraws, yeah. as though he leaves us to our own devices. Yeah. And what happens when that, and, and what happens when they realize that daddy isn't holding on to the bike is they crash. Yeah. Right? So all of a sudden they're going left or right and they're into the bushes and yep. they're on the floor. Yeah. Isn't that what you find in counseling all the time? Mm-hmm. Yes. Fre- frequently. There's this philosophy out there that is we must safeguard everyone from everything. I'm not doing my job as a parent or as a minister or as a counselor. I'm not safeguarding everyone from everything all the time. Um, and there's a, you know, you got to push back on that some and say, pain is not always bad. Pain in this sense brings conviction. It humbles us, right? But there's, there's also the pain of growth. There's also the pain of standing up, getting wobbly, doing it wrong, falling down, skinning a knee. And that pain, which teaches us, don't stand up like that again, right? Don't, don't don't be so quick to stand over here, or that type of soil isn't the type of soil to stand on. Um, it's unstable. And in a sense, what you're talking about right now is what we might call innocent pain. Mm. You know, sometimes the only way to teach somebody not to put their hand in the fire, so let them put their hand in the fire because right. then they realize they get burnt and it hurts yeah. and you put ointment on it, but they mightn't do it a second time. Yeah. But God sometimes withdraws to teach us about our own sinful inclinations and proclivities. Mm. So his withdrawal, his, you know, thing. the reason why sometimes we don't sin is not because we don't desire to sin, it's because God doesn't let us sin. Right. He doesn't, he doesn't provide us with the opportunity to sin. Right. Right. He hedges us around with so many other factors of his providence that the, that the desire doesn't have anywhere to manifest itself. Right. It doesn't even arise. Yeah. Right. But sometimes when God withdraws, that temptation arises and it has power and force and you fall into temptation Mm -hmm. and sin. So is this, is this then what the confession is getting at when it says to discover unto them the hidden strength right. of corruption? Right. Well, how sinful do you think you are? Right. More well, not, sinful than I will ever. Right. Not yeah. you, you have no idea how sinful, yeah. and and therefore, um, someone said, and I'm not remembering who it was who said, but I think. It was, and it, it could be John Owen, but but the seeds of every known sin lie within our hearts. McShane. McShane. Yeah. Robert Murray McShane. Yeah. So the seeds mm-hmm. of every known sin lie within our hearts. Now, there are some sins, and I'm I'm really doubtful that I'm capable of that. Mm. But then I've never 
been put in a position where it's been tested. Yeah. Maybe if I was put in the right circumstances, Mm. I could do that too. Mm. Maybe. Why would God, Josh, want to make you feel worse than you are? Why would God want you to make you feel how sinful you are? Well, I mean, not to be too trite or cutesy or anything like that, but, you know, God's grace is never so sweet as when we see ourselves as, even even in just a part, as sinful as we are. When we see um, the magnitude of our sin, grace seems that much sweeter. Isn't, isn't that what Paul says? Isn't, isn't that his testimony when, should we sin that grace may abound? So, so uh, the Lord allows us to, to have these things happen in our lives and for us to to see our sinfulness, that his graciousness, that his mercy, that his love might be that much sweeter. You know, one of the things that concerns me in a counseling setting, and I I actually see this quite frequently, and I'm not always sure if I know the best way to attack it, is when people have this view, and and I think it's a humanist view. I think there's a humanist philosophy that has kind of um, found its way in, is that I'm just sweet and innocent, but it's all this stuff around here that's the problem, right? If I had had the perfect job, the perfect marriage, the perfect children, the perfect upbringing, whatever, I would be perfect. I wouldn't be any pain. I wouldn't, I wouldn't lust. I wouldn't be lazy. I wouldn't, um, want control. It's all, it's, it's all this other stuff, right? And, I think the Lord allows us to see, to, to kind of rip that away from us and let us see, no, 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 no it, it's in me. I, I, no matter how great any situation could have been, I mean, was there any greater position than the garden? Was there anything more perfect? Maybe this is a good transition to talk about the fall, but, but you know, and, and yet still, that, that didn't keep Adam from sinning and it wouldn't have kept me from sinning. So I think God allows people to feel down, desperate, anxious, um, devastated. I know that's strong. Um, So that he might reveal his strength and his goodness. Okay. All right. See, we're cooking along. All right. Fall of Man, chapter 6. So, what what do we mean when we talk about the fall of man? Oh, that's a question, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, <laughs> so, I thought it was a rhetorical question. Uh, well, obviously, it begins with, with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Yeah. So, Adam and Eve in a condition of probation. So able to sin, able not to sin. So given a specific prohibition that of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they were not to eat. And and that was there as a test uh, and a test that they failed. Hmm. Um, what, uh, what this chapter um, emphasizes, of course, is that Adam and Eve sin described in Genesis chapter 3, and, and we, we may want to sort of underline 
whether or not this is an historical episode or not. Right. Literally so, that all of mankind uh, come from a single uh, couple, yeah. Adam and Eve. Um, it is the way in which sin and Adam's sin is transmitted to the rest of mankind. That is to the fore here. Uh, Paul says in Romans 5, uh, as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. So then the question becomes, how do we, how do we understand Adam's relationship to the rest of mankind? Or maybe a much more personal question, what in the world does Adam got to do with me? Right. Why should I care or not whether there was an Adam? Yeah. Well, from a biblical point of view, I am reckoned to be a sinner, not because I sin, but, but because of my relationship to Adam. Mm. I sin yeah. because I am a sinner. Right. And I am a sinner because of my relationship to Adam. Yeah. You know, and, and sorry, this is a Pedobaptist moment now, so Baptists will have to chill for a second, but, right. But one of the questions we ask parents at the time of a baptism, it's the second question uh, of the four questions that we ask them, is do you believe your child is a sinner? You know, you've got this, this I don't know, eight, nine, ten-week-old baby, yeah. maybe maybe three-month-old baby, and and beautiful and... Cooing. Yes, yeah. and so on. And you're making these parents stand up in front of the entire congregation and say, this, this little beautiful little baby girl is a sinner right and it is such a countercultural moment it is um on what basis i mean this baby can't even talk yeah what sin has this baby committed right yeah and you might say well i've heard i've heard this little baby have a little temper tantrum (laughs) and they're hungry you know they're not changing or that's a british word diaper needs changing um uh, and so on, but but seriously, you're making me conf- confess that this child is a sinner. Yeah. Y- yes. My little angel. Yes, because they are in union with Adam by mm. nature. So the whole of mankind is reckoned to be in a relationship with Adam. Mm. So how is that fair? Yeah. Well, we, we understand representative government. Yeah. So we elect officials yeah. to represent us. Yeah. Now, there's a view in politics where representatives are not there to represent the majority opinion of the people they represent, but they're right. there to represent their own views, yeah. and you've given them consent to do that. That's right. another view. Yeah. Uh, I think the more popular view is that they're actually there to represent your views, yeah. or at least the majority of the people who elected this official into office. So yeah. There are different views. But the idea of representation... Yeah. Uh, they're there to represent uh, the idea of an ambassador. Yeah. You appoint an ambassador, send him off to, you know, Moldova or somewhere, mm-hmm. and, and you say, what, what's his function? What's her role? Uh, governor, the governor of South Carolina's... Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley's become the ambassador to the United Nations. So, so what's her role? Right. Well, she's there to represent the interests of her country, her yeah. her... Yeah, let's say a country. Yeah. Um, so we we understand the idea of, of representation. representation. Yeah. 
Well, Adam is our representative head. Yeah. But the, the counterpart of that is that, well, Jesus is also our representative. Right. As in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. Yeah. Now, in the history of the church, and it's reflected a little here in the confession, there's, there's an interesting little question about how exactly is sin transmitted. Mm-hmm. And... Um, let, let me see if I can remember this term, right? This, this is, listeners should know, it's been 11 years since I was in systematics. Traducianary. Traducianism. Is that right? Am I close? Yeah, traducianism. Traducianism. Boom. Drops the mic, walks off. <laughs> of course, now who was, who was the principal advocate of traducianism? Picks the mic back up and sits down and listens. Well, James Henley Thornwell. Mm. Our dearest Thornwell. Our dearest Thornwell. So there was uh, something of a debate uh, between James Henley Thornwell and Charles Hodge on the issue of the transmission of original sin. Mm. So it was something of a spat in the 19th century. There were some letters written. Thornwell claimed victory because Charles Hodge refused to answer the, the letter. Mm. And he took he took that silence as being defeat on right. his part. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's actually a quite an interesting debate. It's not mm. one that has much energy in 2017. Um, Maybe you can explain for people what is traducianism. The, the idea that sin is transmitted... Genetically, seminally, Uh, it's because the confession says, um, they being the root of all mankind, they being Adam and Eve, the guilt of this sin was imputed. uh, Imputation is a legal, federal idea. And the same death in sin and corrupted nature conveyed to all their posterity, descending from them by ordinary generation. So... So the manner that seems to be saying that the manner in which sin is transmitted is through birth, mm. through through genetics, mm. through through becoming a zygote and a yes. embryo. And now, of course, in in this church, that's it's been rather interesting because it, it was it was thought because of the whole issue of the virgin birth. And how is Jesus free from the entail of Adamic sin? Mm -hmm. Answer, because Joseph wasn't involved. So therefore, the transmission of sin must be through the male, Mm. not the female. Mm. Uh, And that led the Catholic Church into all kinds of issues to do with reproduction, sex, uh, and and the prevention of pregnancy and... To this day, there are some hang-ups uh, about all of that. Right. Um, now, the idea of something passing on from one generation to another is 
commonplace to us, mm. we, especially in the world of genetics. I mean, we're, yeah. we're, we are very familiar with the idea of saying, well, it's all in the genes, you know, yeah. and I, I inherit my blue eyes or my, my left handedness tendency to, to put on a few pounds or, yeah. or, you know, my, my left foot that turns slightly to the right or whatever, right. because yeah. my aunt Maud had this issue. Right. I know, and I had my annual physical yesterday, and you know, one of the questions on the eight thousand questions that you have to answer on a form is, you know, are there any, any? I mean, did your parents or grandparents or great grandparents have heart disease or liver <laughs> right. disease or cancer or, or you know whatever it is? Yeah. So we're very familiar with that with that concept. Yeah. Uh, Romans five. And, and people have taken sides that the transmission of sin is entirely federal and legal and right. sort of covenantal yeah. uh, and, and sort of lining up with Romans 5. But then there are other scriptures and passage in Hebrews that says that that Levi was in the loins of Melchizedek and, and so on. Yeah. So, so having more of a sort of seminal yeah. idea... You mentioned earlier that maybe we need to wrestle with whether or not Adam and Eve are historically accurate. They are historical figures. Mm -hmm. So, going back to our orthodox or not segment that we started back in the fall. Orthodox or not, this statement. Adam is a parable by Moses. Unorthodox. Unorthodox. Unsound. Wretched idea. I actually... Uh, a pastor told me that when I was young. By the way, that's where that comes from. Wow. Yeah. Yes. Uh, of course, this is entirely contrary to sort of current uh, anthropology, and uh, most you know college students will do some kind of course in social anthropology. And um, I I think that the the inspiration of scripture demands that you believe in an historical Adam and Eve. Mm. Jesus believed in an historical Adam and Eve and says yes. so. Now, you can't have a relationship with Jesus as your savior and and then in the same breath say, you know, he actually was mistaken about that. Right. Um, so, so I, I that this is nothing to, to do with how old the earth is. That's another issue entirely. Right. Um, but I do think that there's a line in the sand here of an historical Adam and Eve from which the whole of mankind have come. Must ascend. Right. And the moment we throw that out, we're throwing out the view of the rest of the Old Testament, Jesus, and Paul in Romans 5. Pretty significant. <laughs> Pretty significant. That's right. You've been listening to 1A, a counseling ministry of First Presbyterian Church. We encourage you to listen to all our episodes, which you can find on our webpage at firstprescolumbia.org forward slash 1A. That's firstprescolumbia.org forward slash 1A. You can also check us out on all your favorite podcasting applications, such as iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. If you like what you've heard, then subscribe. Also, don't forget to tell your friends and family about us as well. If you have comments, questions, or issues you'd like us to wrestle with, contact us. You can reach us at our email address, which is 1A at firstprescolumbia.org. That's 1A 
at firstpresscolumbia.org or via our Twitter account, which is at 1A Podcast. That's at 1A Podcast. Or by phone, 803-281-1795. 803-281-1795. For Dr. Thomas, I'm Josh Squires. We look forward to seeing you next week. Until then, thanks for listening, and God bless.